Welcome to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. So our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to follow along. It's Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. Luke 19, 28 through 44. Hear these words. And after he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go, enter into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it, and then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, Order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. And as he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If even you had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for these words, but we thank you that they are not just words upon a page, but they are life, and they are life-giving. And so enable us, God, to hear them with fresh ears, to be renewed and inspired by them and to understand what they mean to us. Amen. So this week I was thinking that the reality of where we are in this time has probably begun to kind of set in upon us. And I think that probably has stirred up a lot of feelings if I'm judging it by the things I've seen on Twitter and on Facebook and sent in emails to me. I know for me myself, it has left me just a little bit disoriented, kind of wondering um, if all of this is just a dream. I, I wake up in the mornings and I have that thought. It's the first thought I have in the morning. Like, was that real or did I dream it? And it doesn't take very long to remember that it was indeed real. And so the disorientation comes when I think about my life a few weeks ago and certain things that I really took for granted don't even seem possible anymore. And because they don't seem possible, I wonder, were those things ever real? I'll give you a good example of this, and it relates to crowds. 
You know, I was thinking about the last time I was in a big crowd other than church. It was last January, just a few months ago, and I was running in a half marathon in Disney World of all places, and there were 26,000 people running together, and we were all in this tight little group, and you know, I didn't think a thing about it. It never occurred to me that being in that big group uh, could be problematic, and in fact, it was really invigorating to be with that many people who were excited, and there was a celebratory nature to our being there together. And I have this picture of that time, and it's all of us kind of crowded in together. And I look at it now, and it kind of makes me cringe just a little bit because I'm like having these flashes. Oh my gosh, what if someone around you was sick? You weren't even aware that that was happening. How could you stand in a crowd like that? How could you be so naive? And I have to kind of remember what was then and where we are now. You know, I think a lot of us, we go into Walmart and someone stands too close to us and we give them the death stare and then we write about them on Facebook because now we know that maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe crowds can kill us. Our scripture reading this morning involves a pretty sizable crowd. And depending on which side of the donkey that you're on kind of depends on how you understand that crowd as something to be celebrated or something that is a threat. For Jesus, he looks out at the crowd and these are his people. He knows where they're coming from. He knows the conditions that they live in because he lives in them too. He's one of them. Most of them are poor Jews living in a land which is ruled by the Romans, which means very heavy taxes and suffocating restrictions and this constant threat of violence and oppression. And I think because of this, the Jews are in a bit of a desperate search for the long-awaited king, a conqueror who's gonna free them from the Romans. They have seen the mighty works of Jesus. They've witnessed him restoring sight to the blind. They've seen him heal people who from birth were lame. They've even seen him bring some people back from the dead and take a little boy's lunch and feed thousands of people. Surely a man with this kind of power and authority is the one, the one who's gonna set them free. So as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, the crowds begin to cheer. The timing is perfect. They're heading into Passover. This is the time when the people remember how the angel of death passed over the Israelites and how shortly thereafter they were set free from Egypt. Jesus knows their heart. He can see it in their eyes as they cheer for him. But instead of being afraid of this crowd, he has empathy for them. He has love for them. Now if you're a Roman soldier, that crowd looks very, very different. These were not their people. They know the danger of crowds like this. They know how quickly crowds can rise up and become violent. They know that a crowd can kill you. They've seen it again and again and again. I know that some of our soldiers who've come back from war, they talk about that. 
They talk about how fear changes your perspective and how it becomes difficult even in everyday life upon returning home to see certain things in the same way once you've experienced it traumatically. It changes your perspective. And so somewhere in the middle of the cheers of the crowd and the violence and the threat of violence from the Romans is the truth of Holy Week. This is that place that's always been difficult for us to hold the tension of because we hear today's hosannas on Palm Sunday, but we're already anticipating the hallelujahs of Easter, but somewhere in the middle, Jesus dies. And it's wonderful and it's terrible and then it's wonderful again. Jesus is riding a donkey into the city today and they're waving the palm branches and they're putting their cloaks on the road and there's a celebratory nature to the crowd and it's beautiful and it's sweet and it's a little frightening because you know where it's going. Jesus knows. Halfway down the hill, he gets a good view of the city and scripture says he begins to weep. He wept when Lazarus died And here he weeps again. He weeps because he knows what is about to happen and he tells us in scripture what is coming. They're gonna reject the way of the Lord, the path that leads to peace, and in doing so, they are gonna be utterly crushed by the Romans. And it's true, it, it happens just like he said it would. Some 40 years later, an uprising occurred The Romans responded and surrounded the city. Every time someone tried to escape from Jerusalem, they would be crucified. And there were so many crucifixes that lined outside the walls that it was all you could see until finally after three and a half years of the people being trapped in the city, the Romans broke through and over a million people died. Men, women, children, all of them, about 90,000 or so were taken back as prisoners. And it was so reminiscent of the words that Jesus spoke that day. He can see it all coming and he can do nothing to stop it because they will not listen to him. They don't wanna believe that it could really happen that way. And so he weeps for them. And he also weeps for us. Because even though we are separated by miles and by time, by many, many generations, we are so like the people of that day. We resist the things that we know will lead to life. We resist the things that we know will make us well, and we know they will make us well because he has said so again and again, but we still We think we know the right way. And so we do our own thing. We rebel in big and small ways. You know, as followers of Christ, we are taught to love above all else. And we are taught to do good to those who wrong us, to extend forgiveness when really the world might teach us to exact our revenge. We're told to be kind, to excel in generosity, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, to allow Jesus to be Lord of our life, and yet, and yet, 
We know better, but we don't really do it. We know the things that make for peace, and yet we seem incapable of true and lasting peace. When Jesus enters the city, the cheering stops because Jesus, he doesn't gather any troops and he doesn't lead a revolt and he doesn't do what they expect or what they want. He drives out the money changers in the temple. He teaches them that giving out of poverty is worth more than giving out of abundance for show. He teaches them and us that in order to be great, we have to be a servant. We have to put ourselves last. Jesus did everything that they didn't want. And so the cheering stopped and they began looking to others for answers so reminiscent of what we continue to do, locked it seems hopelessly in this pattern. But here's the thing. None of this is a surprise for Jesus. He knows how we all can be. He knows the resistance that God has faced time and time again when God has tried to intervene on the people's behalf. And yet, he goes up that hill one more time anyway. God does not allow our behavior to determine who God is. He goes for the one who is lost and leaves the 99. He knows that only he can offer what our souls so desperately need. And so he goes. Have you ever thought about what courage that probably took? To look towards the place where you know your death is imminent and to go towards it anyway? What kind of courage but also what kind of love? It makes me think a little bit about what we have been seeing in our cities lately. There's been all these stories that have been coming out around the world about the tremendous courage of those who are doctors and nurses and radiologists and janitors and cafeteria workers and chaplains and first responders and so many others who are so aware of the danger that lurks in the crowds that they are called to care for. And yet, day after day, they're still going towards those who need them most, even if it costs them everything. And that, my friends, is a holy and beautiful thing. Because genuine love, true love, like the kind of love that God first showed for us, is always stronger than pain and fear. That is what awaits us at the end of this week. But first, we have to get there. You know, the last few months before we went into a time of having to remain in our own homes, I spent a lot of time with different people in our church family who were in hospice and with their families. And it was this really beautiful and poignant thing to watch people come from all over the country to be with their loved ones and to sit by their sides. And as it got hard, They didn't run, but they stayed, and they leaned in when their instinct might have been to lean out, talking to them, holding them, caring for them until they pass from this life to the next, and you couldn't have moved them from that place if you wanted to. And we know there are stories even now of people stepping in in those roles and demonstrating love, even to strangers that they don't know, and caring for them as they transition. This is the nature of love. 
It is the place that God calls all of us to because the nature of God is to be with his people in the midst of their pain and suffering. And we are called to be with one another in the midst of that too in whatever way we are able to do. Even if that means just for us keeping some distance as an act of love and sacrifice. In the journey towards the cross, we find the depth of God's love for us, somewhere between the joy and the pain, a place that we as humans know very well. So I was thinking a little bit about last Palm Sunday. I don't know if you remember it. I've had a little more time to think about it, so I do. I remember that our youth sang this beautiful song for us, and it was a song that was based on a poem found inscribed on the wall of a concentration camp. And they sang it last year, and it was haunting, and it was beautiful. But I read the words again this week, and I see it completely differently. The perspective has shifted a little. And so I invite you as a way of preparing your hearts as we get ready to move into communion to hear it again. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. And I believe in love even when no one is there. And I believe in God even when he is silent. I believe through any trial there is always a way. But sometimes in this suffering and my hopeless despair, my heart cries for shelter. Just to know someone's there. But a voice, it rises within me and it says, hold on, my child, I will give you strength. I will give you hope to stay a little while. And so I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining. And I believe in love, even when no one is there. I believe in God, even when he is silent. And I believe through any trial, there is always a way. May there someday be sunshine And may there someday be happiness. May there someday be love. And may we someday find our way to peace. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, you continue to make a way when there is no way. As we enter into this time of Holy Week, prepare us, O God. Prepare us to hold the tension of the joy and the sorrow. Help us to understand in new and powerful ways the nature of your sacrifice for us, what courage and what love it took, and how you are calling us to share the same with all that we meet. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.